Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. My name is Ben Stapley, and I have the honor of being on staff as the executive pastor here at TLCC. Thank you again so much for being with us today. I want to jump into the message, but before I jump into the message, I have a very pressing question to ask you about Christmas presents. My question is this. What are you in relationship to buying Christmas presents? There's two things. Are you a prepper? Do you get them in advance? How many people here at West Orange buy their presents early? Show of hands. How many people are preppers? Okay. Some people are prepping. Uh, online, there's nothing for you to do here. Uh, just sit there with a smug sense of satisfaction that you're better than the rest of us. And uh, that's what your action step is right now. Okay. So that's the preppers. Now, the other side, procrastinators. Who are the procrastinators in the room? Yeah, a little more hands showing up. Second service, people are owning it. They're standing up and like proclaiming it. I'm a... I'm a procrastinator. I love it. Hands way in the air. Um, If you're online, the online campus, your action step is to open another tab, go to Amazon.com, and fill that cart during this series and sermon with the presents that you need. Okay, so I said there's two. I said when it comes to presents, I said there are two types of people, but I really lied. There's three. There's, There's preppers, there's procrastinators, and there's those who are presumers. Presumers. You know what presumers are? People that presume their spouse is the one going to buy the presents during the Christmas. Any presumers in the room? I'm a presumer. Are you just presuming your spouse is taking? A lot of men's hands are going up, not to make this a, a gender thing. I'm a presumer. And so, which is great, because during Christmas, the Christmas day, when my wife opens up the present, um, she's not surprised, but I'm surprised. What did I give you this year? What? <laughs> What is that magical gift that I bought you because I know your needs so well? Okay, so those are some of the areas in which we can be when it comes to purchasing some gifts during the holiday seasons. If you're not aware of it, we talked about Advent earlier on. We're we're launching into an Advent series this morning, and some of you are aware of what Advent is all about. Some of you, you're new to this. You've never heard about it. It's the first time you heard about it this morning. Let me give you a little bit more backstory to bring you up to speed so you know where we're going over the course of of this morning. First of all, the word Advent itself comes from the Latin term Adventus, which means waiting, which means waiting. The season of celebration began in the 5th century. That's when Christians started to celebrate Advent, spending the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And now millions of Christians around the world spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas waiting for Christ. During this time, we, we reflect on the themes of love, joy, peace, and hope. And it's also layered as well. During Advent, we we remember when Christ first came, and then we also long for his second coming as well. So it's a very layered season for us as believers as we reflect and wait on the coming of the Messiah. Celebrating Advent is not only a spiritual discipline, but it also fosters great anticipation during the season. There's a great article by the New York Times, you'll see behind me, called, To Enjoy Life More, Embrace Anticipation, in which it lays out the scientific research behind why looking forward to something is almost as exciting as the thing itself. They quote Simon Rego, the chief psychologist at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and he says this, he says, imagining good things ahead of us makes us feel better in the current moment. It can increase optimism and patience and decrease irritability. It increases optimism, which is great for us. 
It's also great during the Christmas season as we reflect and wait during this Advent season on the coming of Christ. It builds up an excitement for who he is and what he's done in our lives. But we need to be honest. We don't do very well with waiting. It can be a struggle for us to wait. I don't do it. You don't do it. Our culture at large doesn't wait very well. You're going to see a chart behind me and which shows how Amazon and the other major retailers over time have decreased the amount of time it takes for when you click buy now, online campus, buy now, and that thing arrives in the mail, right? It was five days, four days, three. It's down to like two days now. But that's not enough for us as a culture. We're impatient. Immediate gratification. I want this thing now, right? So what, what has Bezos done to satisfy our insatiable desire for immediate gratification? Well, they've been working for like 10 years on their drone program. They're, dro- they're looking to get drones to take your package and get it to you in an hour, which I just can't wait to see like my neighbor, like a drone flying over my backyard and then like dropping it in their backyard and hopefully it wasn't fragile. I'm not sure how it works. But they're looking to get things to people much, much quicker because we all don't like anticipation. We struggle with that. We struggle with that. It's even harder... It's even harder for kids during this Christmas season. Because let's call it out, we kind of tease them, right? We kind of torture them during the Christmas season. Because what do we do as parents? We take their gifts, we wrap them up, and then we put them under the tree for the next month. So the kids, now that's the present I'm going to get. I have to anticipate it for a whole month seeing it wrapped. But, But kids, in their devious ways, have figured out how to counter this need for anticipation, right? How do they figure out what the present is beforehand? What do they do, right? There's the classics. You shake it. Maybe you hear an electronic sound. It's battery-powered. Maybe you hear something go off. Okay, you kind of get a sense of what's in there. Or you hold it up to the light, and maybe you can see through the the cheap Walmart paper that your parents bought and wrapped it in. You're trying trying to decipher it. Or the classic is you weigh it, right? Yeah, how heavy is this? What do I think that is based upon the Christmas list? I actually had a friend a couple years ago, and he wanted the hot present at the time was a Sony's PS5, their PlayStation 5. And uh, he actually got a digital scale. I said, why are you getting a digital scale? He said, because I know it's 9.9 pounds. I looked on the website. I saw the specs. And if I factor in a wrapping and the bow and the cardboard, I think it's 11 pounds. If I, if I weigh this thing accurately, I know what I'm going to get. Right? So we have some high-tech means to try to figure out and get rid of anticipation. But we've had this problem for a while. It's not just high-tech means. What Did we grow up, if you're an adult, it wasn't this digital scale. You would remove, you would remove the tape and peer in. My mom, God bless her soul, mom, I apologize now. I'm going to say something I never shared with you my whole life. But my mom would use removable, reusable tape. I don't know why. I don't know if it, we were hoarding. If there was like a tape crisis when I was growing up, I was unaware of and we needed reusable tape. I don't remember us ever reusing it, but she would use it, which allowed us to peel back the tape, peer into the present, get a glimpse of what it was, seal it, parents none the wiser, and then Christmas Day, you kind of fake it. Oh, yeah, the thing I wanted. Or it's like it was really hard if it was a sweater, right? Because then you, you knew for a whole month there's a terrible gift under that tree. And I have to pretend I like it when it comes around. So we, we do that. You know, my wife and I, we, we don't use reusable tape. We don't, you know, you probably don't either. We use the most adhesive, the stickiest substance that there is known to man when we tape down our presents. It's that, it's that tape when you peel it off and you actually get it on your fingers and you peel it off and you, you can see the fingerprint of yourself on the tape. It's so strong it literally pulls your flesh off of your skin. That's the tape that we use. 
to help our kids anticipate the Christmas season and not spoil it during that time and make it a great time for them. We stink with anticipation. Earlier on in the service, we sang a song, the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which focuses on the theme of waiting. We see it in the title, Come, Emmanuel, come, we're waiting on you to be with us. The original Latin version of the song was written 1,200 years ago. It was first sung by monks in monasteries. Once those songs, it was actually chanted by monks in monasteries back in the 9th century. And it wasn't until recently that the song got updated in English and it became popular for churches to be singing it. The song was translated to English in the middle of the 19th century. The Church of England was declining at the time, and the theology had become watered down by secular influences, so the liturgy in general and the worship in general had become a little tame. So as a result, a group of theologians from Oxford University set about to re revitalize the Anglican Church in an effort known as the Oxford Movement. A major force behind the movement during this time was John Mason Nelly. What he wanted to do was he wanted to research ancient Latin hymns that had been sung in the past, and he wanted to bring them into English and translate them. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is beautiful. There's seven verses, but generally speaking, we only sing the first and the last verse because it's so rich in theology, it's hard to sometimes get through. You could base a whole message or even a message series based upon the song. There's a lot of Old Testament references that point towards Christ that we aren't entirely familiar with. Branch of Jesse, Key of David, Morning Star. It's a rich theological song. In other words, this is not Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. It's a little deeper. It's a little richer. We're going to be using this as the foundation for us to springboard into the message. Come, come, Emmanuel. Sometimes we hear words that we're not entirely familiar with. I remember when our daughters went off to public school for the first time, they came back and they said, hey, mom and dad, we're hearing some new words on the playground we've never heard in the household. There are these four-letter four words that we keep on hearing. Could you explain them to us? They were coming back, and it was a great educational opportunity for us as parents, letting them know what they are hearing for the first time. So sometimes, as a parent, you tell your kids what a word means. And sometimes a kid comes back, and you as a parent don't know what they're talking about. It's happening more and more as my kids are getting older. I don't know what they're referencing. My daughter the other day, middle school, came back, and she told me, she said, Dad, uh, there was a boy at school that was trying to riz me up. Riz me up. Yes, the first service laughed at me as well. <laughs> I did not know what that word meant. I just feigned understanding and nodded along. I didn't know if I was supposed to be proud of her or if I should be threatening to beat the boy up. And so she left the room, and I got my computer, and I looked it up. Okay, to, to riz up to a... To, to woo someone, to show charisma, to try to attract somebody. Okay, so I guess, you know, in a sense, I should be proud of her. And also, I should be wanting to beat the boy up. I can, wanna, I can hold these two truths independently at the same time, right? There, there was a word I didn't understand that I had to look up. Well, we sang the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But often, if we didn't grow up in church, we don't know what that word means. Let's jump into the Gospel Matthew to find out the context of what Emmanuel means. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to a public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after this, he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Not God close by us, not God near us, not God in the general vicinity of us. No, God with us. In college, I struggled with depression. And I had some friends that were studying to become counselors, and they saw this as an opportunity to help fix me. So they did some psychoanalyzing of me. They talked to me about my food, my family of origin. They wanted to uncover past traumas on earth and help me. I didn't want any of that nonsense. What I wanted during that time was someone to be with me. I needed someone with me. You probably heard the story about the child that was struggling to fall asleep. They were nervous afraid of the dark, they were going to sleep, and their parents was trying to help them do this on their own. And after a couple of minutes, the child calls out to mom and dad, hey, can you, can you come and be with me? Can you cuddle with me? I'm struggling here by myself. And the well-meaning parents respond back to them saying, don't worry, God is with you. To which the child retorts with, that's well and good, but I really would like somebody with skin on. Can you come and be in my room? God with us. What does it say in the beginning? God was with us from the beginning. We see this in Genesis. He creates humanity. We rebel, but God doesn't give up on us. He wants to be with us. He comes down to humanity in the cool of the day, looking to walk with Adam and Eve. does not find them because they are hiding. What does he do? Does he reject them? Does he go back on high? No. He asks them a question. He says, where are you? I want to be with you. This theme of God wanting to be with us continues throughout scriptures. We see it when Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The gospel writer John continues this theme. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. I love the way in which the message paraphrases this verse. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood. It was somebody with skin on. God with us. There's always been his desire. That has always been intention to be with us. Charles Spurgeon goes on to unpack the depth and the riches of this word and the meaning, Emmanuel. He says this in relationship to Emmanuel. It is wisdom's mystery. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the perceiving eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. 
God is with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel or how could he bend his knee in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands and how could the martyr stand at the stake? How could men labor if that one word, Emmanuel, were taken away? God with us. It's the sufferer's comfort. It's the balm of his woe. It's the alleviation of his misery. It's the sleep which God gives to his beloved. It's the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet. It's heaven's hallelujah. It's the shout of the glorified. It's the song of the redeemed. It's the chorus of angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. Emmanuel. During the holidays, during the month of December, we see a lot more theft going on in culture at large. But in particular, one thing is stolen. It's kind of an odd thing. You probably wouldn't guess it unless I were to tell it to you. So let me tell it to you. People during this season are stealing the plastic baby Jesus from the nativity scene. I'm not sure if you know this, but this happens very frequently. That's why you'll see displays like this asking for people to return the plastic baby Jesus that's been stolen from the nativity. That's why you see on news stations, you'll see them show who's stolen it to try to capture the culprit and make sure it doesn't happen again. You'll see uh, news articles like this declaring how they're trying to address this. I love this news article. If you look at the headline, it says this. It says, churches are given GPS trackers to stop thieves from stealing baby Jesus. If you push down into one of the subheadings, you see this. This is the eighth year Brickhouse Security has offered its Save Jesus program. When plastic baby Jesus goes missing, the news outlets sound an alarm because... Because from a very rudimentary understanding, we know that's not right. Jesus is with us. And when he's not, even plastic baby Jesus, we get upset. We know something is not right. God has been sent to be with us. The first line of the song is for God to be with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. The second line tells us why. To ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Ransom. Christ speaks this theme over himself. The gospel writer Mark says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. So during this Christmas season, you, I, we need to wrestle through what do we need to be ransomed from? Maybe it's emotional distress. Maybe fear, anxiety, doubt. Maybe some emotions are keeping you from living the full life that God has dreamed from you. Maybe it's a physical limitation. Pain, sickness, disease is holding you ransom to a degree. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a family member that you need a little distance from or a toxic friend that you just need to cut off. You need to be ransomed from them. Or maybe it's a secret sin. Something that is holding you back. Nobody else knows about it, but it is throttling back your relationship with God because you are holding on to the secret thing that you do not want to let go. Whenever we are ransomed, it is powerful, it is memorable, and it is life-altering. 
remember a time in which I was ransomed in the first grade. During the first grade, our teacher had a rule that unless your shoes were tied, you could not go and enjoy recess. And I don't know if you realize this, but for a first grader, recess is a pretty big deal. So this was a big rule in the classroom. My twin brother and I attended the same class. It wasn't a problem for him because he knew how to retie his shoes. I had not mastered that skill at that time. So my mother in her wisdom and in her grace would make sure to double knot our shoes every time before we went off to school. Well, one time, she forgot. Went off to school, and then through the course of the day, the shoes came undone. When it was time for recess, all the other kids went outside to play, and the teacher held me back in the hallway and says, you can't go out until you tie your shoes. I remember vividly struggling to tie those laces without success. And after a couple of minutes, hot tears started pouring down my face. I was sad I wasn't able to enjoy the joys of recess. I was embarrassed that I didn't know how to tie my shoes. And I was angry at the teacher who was not doing her job and teaching me how to tie them. All these emotions were boiling within me. And then I heard the door from the outside open up. And I saw my twin brother sneak back into the school. He bent down on my shoes and he double knotted them for me. And I went out and I enjoyed recess. That was four decades ago. And I still remember the poignancy of that moment because I was ransomed. I was redeemed. That was recess. And it still has an impact in my life today. When Jesus wants to ransom us, he wants to ransom us from things much more vibrant than just resets. He wants to open our lives to so much more than that. He wants to free us from anything that holds us captive. Jesus wants to ransom us from all things, even from death. This is what the prophet Hosea says in relationship to that. He says this, I will declare this people, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Paul echoes this idea that God is here to ransom us. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. The song continues. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. I remember when I was going to college in Chicago, I was determined, determined, stubbornly determined, to graduate without any student debt. And so I worked year-long. I worked all the year while I was going through my studies as well. And then during the breaks, I stepped it up. During breaks, summer and the holidays, I would work doubles. Like I said, I was stubborn not to graduate with debt. It's a great company I was working for. We would be doing, in the summertime, we would be doing landscaping, working outside, getting a chance to work on our tan. But during the wintertime, it was not as easy because we did snow removal. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but Chicago gets a lot of snow. So there was one Christmas season which was uniquely challenging because we got tons of lake effect snow. 
So I was, I was physically exhausted. I was shoveling all throughout the day and throughout the night. And I was emotionally exhausted, being far from family during this festive season. And I remember during this time of physical and emotional exhaustion, I went off on Christmas Eve to the grocery store to buy some food. I went down to the subway, a subway which is normally bustling with people, but this time it was just myself, or I thought it was just myself, until I spotted a street performer in the end of the tunnel. They were in between songs when I came down, so they weren't performing, but then when I got there, they picked up the trumpet and held it to their lips. And they played, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And during that season of depletion, that song broke me. The music echoed off the subway walls. And even though I was a broke college student, I came up to them and just kept on giving them singles after single after single until my wallet was empty because I wanted the melody and the message of that song to resonate deep within me, to penetrate my bones, that idea that I needed to be ransomed. And there was somebody who was going to do that for me.
O come, desire of nations, bind, and won the hearts of all mankind, that thou our sad division cease and be thyself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. Christ first appeared to redeem us, to ransom us 2,000 years ago, and he is doing that again today, and he will do that again tomorrow. He will ransom anybody who needs it. He will restore anybody who's depleted. You may be physically depleted. You may be working doubles, or you may be bent over in pain. You are going to be ransomed. He wants to ransom those who are emotionally depleted. The season we talk about Advent, love, joy, peace, hope. You might say, I'm O for 4. He wants to emotionally restore you and ransom you. Beyond that, he wants to spiritually ransom us. You may be depleted. You may say, I am bankrupt. I know there is a heavy price that needs to be paid. And when I come up to the banker, I come up empty-handed. I need a wealthy financier who can pay for the penalty of my sins. God is here to ransom you for those who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually depleted. When Jesus ascends, he tells his disciples, he gives them this hope. He says to them, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. There's nothing that's going to keep me from you. There's no reason that you cannot access my love. Not life, not death, not heights, not lows, not things present, not things come. Nothing should hold you from my love. Why? Because a virgin conceived and gave a son and called him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And he'd be honest with you during the season. You may have faced something in the past that is difficult or you may be facing something in the future that is difficult for. But God wants to ransom you for it. He wants to be Emmanuel, be with you. My wife and I, when we're going through a difficult season, we'll remind each other that we're in it together. We'll say that to each other. We're in it together. But I need to be honest. Sometimes we're not in it together. Sometimes we're not on the same page. Sometimes we're not even in the same book. But when you find your Savior, you are always with him. You are always in it together because he will never leave you nor forsake you. This Christmas season, we are all given gifts. Gifts like look like this under the tree that are beautiful. But here's the deal with a gift. It's not good enough that you're given a gift. A gift works in two ways. First of all, you're given the gift. And second of all, you need to open up the gift. Unless you open up the gift, the power of it does have no effect on your life. We are all given the gift of a Savior this Christmas Eve. And it's wrapped for us. It's under the tree. God's been giving it to us for thousands and thousands of years. The question is not do we have a gift, but are we going to unwrap the gift and be ransomed this Christmas season. Jesus, we thank you. You've come to ransom all of us. There's nothing in our life that you cannot ransom us from. There's no area of our life. There's no darkness. There's no hidden thing. There's nothing beyond your power and beyond your grace and the scope of your redemptive work. All things you want to redeem and ransom us from. But we need to open the gift. May we do that this season, Father. May we identify what area of our life needs to be ransomed from. And may we be bold 
open up the gift and see you do a miraculous work in our life. Amen? Amen. Amen.